This episode features a stressful story about serving as a police officer. Listener discretion is advised. Hi everyone, I'm Alastair Murden, and this is Superstitions, a Spotify original from Parcast. Through fictional stories, we explore humankind's seemingly illogical fears, strange beliefs, and patterns that cannot be explained by coincidence alone. Today, we're covering a superstition that you probably haven't heard of, unless you've ever served as a police officer. Policing can be a stressful and dangerous job. Just imagine the anxiety of knowing that any patrol could be your last. Perhaps it's no surprise then that police officers have all sorts of practices specific to their field, rituals to keep them safe on duty, and behaviors to avoid that might put them in harm's way. Some of these are practical, like always double-checking your firearm, the one time you don't could be the time you end up needing it. But many others are purely superstitious, such as the belief that you'll be safer on your shift if you always sit in the same chair at the station. However, our research shows that there is one police superstition that is more common than all the rest. So common, in fact, that it seems more officers adhere to it than not. Never, ever say the Q word. It's the law enforcement equivalent of saying Macbeth before a stage show. The Q word means quiet. As in, if you comment on your current shift being a quiet or uneventful one, then it will quickly become the opposite. And you'll soon learn that boredom is preferable to the wrong kind of excitement. There is obviously a lot of controversy surrounding police work, and we'll discuss that more at the end of today's episode. But for now, we must fulfill our charge of exploring these beliefs through a strange story that may or may not be true. It's the story of a trainee assigned to bicycle patrol. Her name has been lost to time, so we'll call her Hattie. She thinks this is about to be an easy assignment. Slow uneventful, even quiet. Coming up, Hattie starts her patrol. There's a new class of blockbuster drugs. Drugs like Ozempic. They're changing bodies. And all of a sudden, just the weight starts falling off. Fortunes. It just got too expensive. They're just bank breakers. And industries. There was a lot of excitement. There was a lot of skepticism. The impact of these drugs from business to health is just beginning. From the journal, Trillion Dollar Shot. Find it in the journal feed wherever you get your podcasts. Hattie and her idiot partner unhitch their bikes from the back of their cruiser, or the shop, as Eugenio called it. She tried to point out to him that term was really reserved for patrol cars that saw a lot of action, not a car that they left in a perfectly safe private lot while they pedaled around Newport Beach. You can't ever let your guard down, especially not tonight. He gestured to the moon, which was just barely visible, rising on the horizon. Full moon brings out the crazies, even in a place like this. Hattie rolled her eyes. That's just a stupid cop superstition, she grumbled. 
Eugenio's eyes narrowed. That's what everyone says before things go south. You think you're safe? This patrol can turn just as deadly as any other. You're a fool if you think otherwise. We're the only line of defense between the good people of this city and the worst it has to offer. Hattie started to respond, but stopped herself. She knew Eugenio was just trying to rattle her. He loved talking up how intense their job was, though, in truth, they had the least eventful patrol in practically the safest city in California. And that was precisely why Hattie had requested it. Her past patrols had all been too intense. Not that anything had happened, quite the opposite. She'd never even had to draw her firearm in the line of duty. But you had to make a lot of traffic stops in a patrol car, and Hattie had never gotten used to the idea that the next person she pulled over might decide to take a shot at her. Eugenio thought she was in the wrong line of work, but Hattie came from a cop family and was determined to stick with it. She had no idea what else she would do with her life. Her father had been a detective with the LAPD for 30 years. He'd retired to Orange County, and every weekend she got an earful. Our family protects other people. It's what we were put on this earth to do. Hattie might have doubted whether she was brave enough to be a cop, but she knew she didn't have the courage to disappoint her dad. In the end, bicycle patrol by the boardwalk seemed like the perfect compromise. There was more direct contact with the public, which she actually enjoyed. A big part of the job was helping tourists. Worst case scenario, a drunk guy peed on you. That didn't stop Eugenio from harping on the dangers they faced, but Hattie didn't want to hear it. When Eugenio pointed out that the bike cops still did traffic stops, she asked how many he'd actually made in his entire time on patrol. That finally shut him up. The evening started off quiet. It was a weeknight in the winter, a very temperate SoCal winter. Hattie breathed in the fresh air and was actually grateful for her job easily the best post in law enforcement. She was in such a good mood, she couldn't keep it to herself. She glanced over at her partner. Nice night. Cozy and quiet, just how I like it. She was hoping to maybe even irk Eugenio a little bit. He took the job seriously, which meant that he took all the superstitions seriously too. Hattie knew all about the Q word, and she knew Eugenio hated it. His bike swerved and he almost fell over. He stuck a foot out to steady himself and stood there staring at her. How could you say that? He said, legitimately angry. She tried to shrug it off, surprised at how much of a rise she'd gotten out of him. What? Oh, the Q word again? Jeez, Eugenio, it's no big deal. What's gonna happen? A bunch of crazy stuff now that you've said that, he yelled. He kept going in Spanish so she wouldn't know all the names he was calling her. If anything crazy happens, it'll be because it was already gonna happen, not because of me. She turned and kept pedaling, but at the back of her mind, she knew that her words had been at least in part to reassure herself. Every cop knew the rule. You weren't supposed to say the word quiet or the Q word while you were on patrol. You definitely weren't supposed to say, things are quiet or all quiet over here, Sarge, because as soon as you did, things would quickly become anything but quiet. If any of her non-police friends had asked her, Hattie would have explained that no one really believed the rule, even if they followed it religiously. It was an agreed-upon fiction, 
a security blanket that bolstered their sense of community. But now that she'd said it, Hattie had to admit she didn't love being without her security blanket. It didn't help when, only a few minutes later, they received their first call of the night. Nothing too serious. A bar down the street had oversold tickets for their pre-St. Patty's Day bar crawl. They needed some help wrangling the line. Eugenio and Hattie could see the line long before they got there. It covered at least two blocks. They parked their bikes and got to work, marking up the sidewalk so that the line would stay off the street. As they pushed people into this new formation, they had some resistance. One already drunk college student shouted, You're not cops! You're wearing shorts! Hattie had to explain that shorts and a yellow windbreaker were in fact her official uniform. The man's also drunk girlfriend called him brave for speaking truth to power. Once the system seemed to have taken hold and the bar deigned to send an employee out to keep it moving, Eugenio and Hattie took their leave. That was your fault, he said as they pedaled down the boardwalk. If that's the worst the Q word can do, I'm not afraid, she said. Just a few minutes later, they got another call. Eugenio scowled and shot her a pointed look. Hattie tried to remind him that that's how it was supposed to work, but she couldn't deny the sense of unease growing in her stomach. This one was a bit more serious. A fight had broken out in the parking lot of a local grocery store. No weapons reported, at least not yet. They shared a hopefully it stays that way look and took off as fast as they could. It wasn't easy to spot the altercation. Parking lots like this were always packed at night with shoppers getting dinner or, in this case, getting booze to pre-game for St. Patty's Day. As she swerved between Teslas, Hattie was reminded of one of Eugenio's favorite taunts. He liked to tell her that being on bicycle patrol was technically the most dangerous job from a personal safety perspective. Any perp in a car could run you over. Once again, she had to will herself not to think about it. It took a few passes before they found the fighting pair. They were in a standoff on a mulch bed island, screaming epithets at the other. Both men had their cell phones out and were recording the other. One was a well-off looking older man, the other a disheveled looking younger guy. The older man's face was beat red as he shouted that his opponent was an absolute lunatic. The younger man howled back, you're offending the moon, you're all offending the moon. Eugenio was furious, but not at the confrontation. You see what you did? He snapped at Hattie. She tried to ignore him and focus on the task at hand. It looked like the younger man was having some kind of episode, which could turn south fast if they didn't handle it perfectly. She told Eugenio she'd take the young ranter if he took the older man. Uh, you think? Was all he could say before heading over, switching on his body cam. Hattie did the same. She called out to the arguing men, identifying herself and Eugenio as police. She told them to step away from each other so that she and her partner could take their statements separately. By this point, a crowd of grocery store customers had congregated in the parking. Many of them were holding out their own phones, which only served to put Hattie more on edge. What did they think she was going to do? She was going by the book. It was the idiot in front of her that was ranting about the moon. She tried to keep her voice calm. Sir, I'm going to need you to listen to me for one second. I'm going to listen to you. I'm going to write down whatever it is you have to say. I just need you to take a breath and let me ask you some questions. The man finally looked at her. It was as if he was seeing her for the first time. 
she realized he hadn't even been talking to her. He was pretty scraggly looking, a dirtier than usual beach bum with a beard and a large shark tooth necklace. He stopped ranting as he considered her. Hattie let herself breathe a sigh of relief. She'd shown him respect. De-escalated the situation. He would show her respect in return. Then, the man's mouth curled into a manic grin. You know, he shouted, launching spittle into her face. You know it's not safe tonight. You know everyone's in danger, and you know why. The man turned and pointed at the sky. The full moon hovered over the ocean, bathing the boardwalk with a soft glow. Before Hattie could respond, the man turned back and snarled. You don't want to ask me questions. You want me to shut up. You want me to be quiet. Hattie felt her blood run cold. She opened her mouth only to realize she had no idea how to respond. She decided to stick to protocol. She was surprised to find that the man didn't smell of anything and his eyes seemed all right. She told him to sit on the curb and wait. He gave her a menacing look but surprisingly complied. She turned back toward Eugenio and the older man. That wasn't going well either. I want you to arrest that man or I'm going to sue your whole department, the older man screamed. Not a smart move with Eugenio. He'd grown up working odd jobs at the boardwalk and had no patience for entitled rich people. You want to press charges? Eugenio asked. Of course, screamed the man. Problem was, when Eugenio asked him what the younger man had done, all he could say was that he had been very, very rude. Eugenio had to point out to him that it wasn't a crime to be rude. It was a crime, however, to call the police without reason. The man backed up and tried to say that he had felt threatened. Do you feel threatened now? Asked Eugenio, a dead look in his eyes. The man looked stunned for a moment, but a second later, he was ready to argue again. When he went to gesture back at the strange younger man, his eyes went wide. He's gone! The officers turned. He was right. The strange young man had disappeared. Hattie swore under her breath. Eugenio scowled at her. So much for our cozy night. Coming up, Hattie pursues her suspect and learns why you never say the Q word. Hi, it's Vanessa from Parcast Network, and I'm thrilled to tell you that this month marks a huge milestone for us. It's the four-year anniversary of a podcast I host called Serial Killers. If you haven't had a chance to dive into the stories and psychology behind the most nightmarish murderers of all time, why wait? There's no better time than right now to start listening. Each week, we enter the minds, the methods, and the madness of the world's most sadistic serial killers. From the son of Sam, David Berkowitz, and the co-ed killer, Edmund Kemper, to Eileen Warnos, Ed Gein, and coming soon, the Night Stalker, Richard Ramirez. And this February, look out for our four-part special on couples who kill, following the worst love has to offer. Their names may sound ordinary, but their atrocities are anything but. You do not want to miss it. With hundreds of episodes available to binge and new ones released weekly, get to know the killers, crimes, and cases that forever changed the face of history. 
follow the Spotify original from Parcast, Serial Killers. New episodes air every Monday and Thursday, free on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Now, back to our story. Hattie had thought the practice of not saying the Q word while on duty was just a superstition. But everything that had happened since she'd said it was starting to make her reconsider. It was the weekend before St. Patty's Day, so things were bound to get a little weird. But now she was pedaling through the neighborhoods around Oceanfront Boardwalk trying to catch a guy who had been ranting about the full moon. Her partner, Eugenio, was the real pain. He'd stayed behind in the grocery store parking lot to, quote, take some statements. She knew he just blamed her for all this and was too lazy to help her track down the suspect. At this point, she was considering calling in a patrol car. All she needed was for this parking lot altercation to escalate into something more serious. But for now, she left her radio tucked into her belt. The whole point of being on the bike was to catch suspects who were on foot. She could move faster, turn sharper, jump higher, but she was also more vulnerable than if she were in a regular patrol car. She went up and down the hills, occasionally catching glances of the full moon poking out from above the canopy of trees. The odd street lamp bathed the forest in eerie fluorescent light. Then she saw it, a leg disappearing into the brush on the side of the road. She skidded to a stop, staring at the spot where the leg had been. Hello? She called out. This is the police. Identify yourself. There was no response. Hattie took out her flashlight and shone it into the trees. All was quiet, save for the wind rustling through the leaves. She couldn't make out anything. Her heart raced as she considered whether to pursue. That leg might have belonged to her suspect, but she would be putting herself in harm's way wading into thick undergrowth like that. This is exactly the kind of thing she wanted to avoid. She didn't want to become a news story. She grabbed her radio and tried to call Eugenio to come join her. No answer. Hattie wondered if he was being obstinate or if the hills were blocking the signal. She could still pedal away, say she lost the suspect. Maybe what she had seen wasn't even him. Maybe she'd find him elsewhere in the neighborhood. That just sounded like she was trying to placate herself. She knew the right thing to do was to go in. She lay her bike down in the grass by the side of the road and drew her weapon. After checking that the safety was off, she proceeded into the tree line. She was definitely less visible in here, but that also meant she couldn't see much either. All she had was the light of the moon. She stopped for a moment, gazed around her, her eyes full of visual noise from the pitch black. She decided to close her eyes and listen. The wind in the trees would be relaxing under different circumstances. She could hear cars passing, the ocean waves crashing against the distant beach. All the quiet sounds that were always there in the background unnoticed. Which is why the next thing she heard really stood out. A branch snapped nearby. Hattie opened her eyes and found herself face to face with the suspect. Up close like this, his features bathed in moonlight. She could see his twisted mouth, the crow's feet around his eyes, his bleeding gums. It's not safe with the moon, he growled swatting hard at her gun. She watched in horror as it flew from her hand and disappeared into the black undergrowth. She knew the next moment was crucial. She had to fight for her life, but fear overwhelmed her. She was totally frozen. Much to her relief, the man turned and bolted away from her. 
It took her a few moments of heavy breathing before she could even begin to think of what to do next. Finally, it occurred to her that she should at least try and look for her gun. She ran off in the direction it had disappeared and began to feel around on the ground. Unsurprisingly, she didn't have much luck. This wasn't going to earn her any love with the rest of the department, especially if other officers had to work late combing the forest for her piece. She thought maybe she could turn things around, maybe if she caught the guy, it would at least make it worth it. He'd been faster and stronger than she'd expected, but she still had her cuffs, pepper spray, and taser. Hattie went off in the rough direction she'd seen the suspect disappear into. It was uphill, not an easy walk. She was surprised at how fast he'd been. Eventually, she found a clue. The man's tattered plaid shirt was tangled up in some branches. Great. Now he was a half-nude suspect. But that wasn't what bothered Hattie the most, because she had just broken through the tree line and realized she was at the bottom of a hill. A hill that led directly up to the gate of a multi-million dollar property. She could see tracks left in the undergrowth and the gate was ajar. Her suspect had fled into the home. This situation was worsening by the minute. Hattie trudged up the hill, reaching the gate. She quickly realized that not only was the home occupied, it was overflowing. The owners were having a party. Her heart sank. Either she'd never find her suspect amidst this crowd, or he was about to initiate another altercation. The guests looked well-to-do, lots of expensive jackets and perfectly toned bodies. Some shot her the odd glance, but most didn't even notice her. Then she heard him shouting, it's so close! I tried to warn you, but no one would listen. The hour is at hand! Her gaze shot over to the edge of the pool patio where a terrace overlooked the beach. There was an especially good view of the boardwalk, and her ranting moon man was taking it all in. His shirtless torso was bathed in moonlight, his shark-toothed necklace glinting. Hattie rushed over and grabbed one of his wrists, twisting it around his back so she could cuff him. This time, he offered little resistance. Meanwhile, the guests were beginning to notice, letting out gasps. Some backed away, others started recording. She was so busy making the arrest that she didn't notice when those phones drifted from her to the horizon. Something had drawn the guests' attention. She heard it before she saw it. Like thunder that didn't stop. Then, she started to squint just able to make out some sort of massive movement on the horizon. White, foamy crests glinted in the moonlight. It was an enormous wave, a tsunami. It stretched all along the boardwalk, bearing down on the town. Hattie could hardly contain her horror. Eugenio was still down there, along with thousands of civilians. She could only watch as the ocean collapsed down on top of them, obliterating their homes, their businesses, their bodies. She thought of the packed clubs, the idiot college kid who'd laughed at her shorts, the people she was supposed to protect. She wanted to scream. But at that moment, the shirtless man twisted away from her, swinging an elbow backward and catching her in the jaw. She stumbled backward in surprise and tripped, arms flailing wildly for anything to catch herself. Then her head smacked against the concrete floor of the terrace. Hattie tumbled, 
into the pool. The last thing she saw through the water was the shirtless man sprinting off into the crowd. Then her vision blurred and everything went quiet. She woke up a day later in the hospital. The first thing she saw was Eugenio's cocky face. She'd never been so happy to see him. She didn't even complain as he animatedly told her what had happened when the wave hit, how he'd climbed a palm tree to escape. For some reason, he seemed to think it made him sound a lot braver than it did. They'd found Hattie after receiving several 911 calls from the mansion party. Cell phone video showed her being dragged out of the pool and the suspect running off back into the woods, cuffs and all. They were still looking for him. Her superiors figured she'd passed out from shock. She was placed on disability. She finally got what she wanted. A safe paycheck. A few days later, as she was checking out of the hospital, she went through her things. Her bicycle cop uniform, the shorts, the windbreaker, the fanny pack, all were at her bedside. She rubbed her hand along them fondly. That's when she felt something. A hard, angular chunk in her jacket pocket. She reached over and unzipped it. The cool, stone-like object fell into her hand. It glimmered in the sunlight. Her suspect's shark-tooth necklace. Today's story was inspired by not just the idea of the Q word, but another police superstition. The idea that a full moon brings out the weirder elements of society. That belief is not unique to police. The word lunatic originates from the Latin word luna for moon. The ancient Romans believed that a full moon affected people's brains, and that's a belief that persisted until the 20th century. Of course, there are still those who believe the moon and other celestial bodies can affect one's thoughts and behavior. Other emergency-type workers, such as ER personnel, share this superstition with police. There is no data to back up the belief that a full moon affects people's mental health, and so it seems a classic case of correlation rather than causation. When working as a patrolman or an ER nurse, you're likely to have to deal with an unwell individual on any given night of the year, regardless of the state of the moon. As we mentioned at the top of the episode, police superstitions often arise out of the possibility of being shot or killed while on duty. This is a difficult thing for officers to face as they go into work each day, and it's something most of us could hardly imagine. Having the courage to put yourself in danger day in and day out deserves a lot of respect. But there's a flip side to this. Some people argue that the persistent stresses and anxieties experienced by police officers can cloud their decision-making, leading to officers who are more prone to use excessive force when it isn't called for. This is a discussion that deserves more time than we can give it, but we can provide you with some basic facts. According to the FBI, 48 officers were feloniously killed in the line of duty in the United States in 2019, the most recent year for which they have these statistics available. According to the Washington Post, over a thousand people were shot and killed by police that same year. So while those 48 deaths were incredible tragedies, it would seem that an officer's chances of being killed while on patrol are relatively low. And that's the thing about superstitions. 
On one hand, they can have a positive placebo effect, leading us to feel that we are in control of a situation that is, in reality, uncontrollable. If avoiding the Q-word helps an officer ignore their fears while on duty, then perhaps it served a purpose. But superstitions aren't all harmless. They can also feed into our anxiety and lead us to dwell on our fears. If they create a sense of danger even when things truly are calm and quiet, then they might make it harder to tell the difference between real and perceived threats. Even worse, they might keep an individual in a state of prolonged anxiety, pushing them closer to their own breaking point, which is why some superstitions might be better left on the dashboard of history. Thanks again for listening to Superstitions. We will be back next week with a new episode. You can find more episodes of Superstitions and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. Until next time, be wary of the things you cannot explain. Superstitions is a Spotify original from Parcast. It is executive produced by Max Cutler, sound designed by Nick Johnson, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, and Erin Larson. This episode of Superstitions was written by Greg Castro, with writing assistance by Andrew Kelleher, fact-checking by Anya Bailey, and research by Brian Petrus. I'm Alastair Murden. Hi listeners, it's Vanessa again. Before you go, don't forget to check out the Spotify original from Parcast, Serial Killers. Each week, join me and my co-host Greg for a deep dive into the minds and madness of history's most notorious murderers. You can binge hundreds of episodes, four years worth, and catch new episodes every Monday and Thursday. Listen to Serial Killers, free on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts.